The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Today's scripture reading will be from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a great privilege it is to have your word. We would be so lost without it. And he asked that you would teach us and guide us today, that you would help bring truth and lay a foundation, perhaps a course of action for Canyon Ridge in these next weeks and months as we look for a new leader. Lord, I pray that you would guide us, that you would help us to be in alignment with you to find exactly the person that you have for us. Help us to put aside our own wishes and desires, our own thoughts and plans, our own agendas, and instead just to seek your face in honest and earnest prayer for the person that you have for us. So Lord, help me to communicate your word as truth today in such a way that brings about those things. In your precious name of Jesus, amen. Well, my name is John. If you don't know me already, part of the church staff as well. And I have had an incredible week. This has been, um, I would say, the the greatest week that I've had in, in years started on Monday morning with Cindy Childy, came to see me, brought a gift, shared with me her story and the things that God is doing in her life, which so blessed me and encouraged me in my own walk of faith. And then Tuesday night, I went to my community group and they planned a surprise birthday party for me. And so we had a cake. It was a Seahawks cake. Uh, Doris Budworth made this great, beautiful cake. It was so nice. We didn't even want to touch it, you know, but that didn't last long. We gobbled that thing up and 
they, get, they bought me gifts. I got a brand new uh, Seahawks jacket, and uh, they got a card, and everybody signed it, and just showered me with love, and it was just, it was the best community group I've ever been to, we've ever had, and I keep saying that every week, I know, but this, it was just, um, my group is where uh, pastoral ministry takes place, because those, the people in our group, they care for each other, and they minister to each other, and so it's just, uh, it's just how the church is supposed to work, I just, I love it so much. And then on Wednesday, I got the most incredible letter I've ever received, you know, I, I do get all kinds of letters, and um, the ones that don't have a name on it, they go immediately into a certain round file. But um, the ones that have their name on it, I appreciate. Well, this one was the sweetest, kindest love letter uh, I've ever received from, from somebody that was in my church. And so um, I sobbed for a while as I read through the letter. And, uh, and I was just so incredibly blessed. So... Um, so it's been just an amazing week like that for me of, of many of you sharing your love for me. And I tell you, it has really, really blessed me and touched my heart. It makes it all that more difficult to, uh, to, to make this decision. But I comfort myself on the fact that we're not going anywhere. Uh, we're staying put. And so hopefully the Lord has more work for us to do. We'll see. But in the meantime... We have the pastoral epistles. Don't you love God's timing? I mean, in his perfect timing, this is not the series that we were going to, supposed to be in right now in this time of year. But through circumstances, that came about. And here we are now, where as a church, we're looking for a new leader. And we're also studying in the scriptures what God says a leader should be. I just love his timing is so perfect. This Past, these pastoral epistles, and this, this might show up in your community group, I don't know, but um, these pastoral epistles are how to conduct ourselves in church. It's all about how the church should function and how we should conduct ourselves in church, how leaders should function in the church, how um, you treat each other in the church, how to be a godly Christian person, one who follows after the Lord, how to train yourself to be godly, how to address problems that come up in the church. So incredibly valuable for us in how to form and shape the church. I mean, I'm sure you've thought about that. How does the church run and how is it supposed to be run? Well, we know because Paul told us in the pastoral epistles exactly how it is to be. So 2 Timothy was Paul's final letter that he wrote before he was martyred. He was martyred in Rome, and uh, he was beheaded, which is a gruesome, horrible way to die. Uh, He died for his faith, and so 2 Timothy was the final letter that he wrote. He wrote 1 Timothy, then he wrote Titus, and then 2 Timothy. And so... uh, Last week, I gave you the brief overview of Paul and of Timothy and these books and how they work together. And so today, Lord willing, we will cover the nine verses that Pastor Matt read. What I love about the scriptures is how applicable they are. How this text that we're looking at today is just applicable to us in the 21st century as it was to Timothy in 59 AD. 
Isn't that amazing? There is no other book or text or writing in the world that does that. But the Bible does that. And it has, think about this, it has been applicable to all the generations before us as well. And will continue on until the Lord returns. So there are two words here that kind of bubble up in these epistles it's important to note. Uh, it's a, they're Greek words. The first one is didoskalia, which is where we get our word doctrine, the English word doctrine. And Eusebia, which is the, where we get the English word godliness. The word doctrine is used 21 times in the New Testament. 15 of those are used in the pastoral epistles. The word godliness is used 15 times in the New Testament. 10 of those are used in the pastoral epistles. So eight times, these two words, eight times are found in 1 Timothy alone. So when you see this being mentioned over and over and over and over, you have a major theme that Paul's trying to get across here. Godliness and doctrine are how the church should function. If there were two pillars that hold the church up, that's what they would be. Sound doctrine and godly living. You see this mentioned over and over and over. When discussing how the church should function, the two most important pillars are sound doctrine and godly living. Now, you can't have one without the other. I don't mean to say that it's a bad idea to have sound doctrine but no godliness. As if we were to really focus everything on teaching in the Bible and doctrine, but nobody was living a godly life. That is not what I'm saying. Or how about people who are just so godly and just living righteously, but could care less about the Bible? What I'm saying is neither of those two is true. What is true is that it's impossible. It is impossible for you to be godly apart from sound doctrine. You can't do it. You will never have godliness if you don't have sound doctrine. The two go together. You can't have one or the other. They go together. They are both required. There is no shortcut to godliness. That's one critique I would have of the charismatic movement is that that a lot of charismatics think that or believe that if we just spend enough time in the presence of God, we'll be transformed and become godly people. Well, unfortunately, that isn't anywhere in the Bible. It doesn't teach that. Paul says that there are no easy shortcuts, that you must train yourself to be godly, and it is through the careful study of the word of God. So it's studying the word carefully and then applying it to your daily life. Your day in, day out, walk of life, the application of the word of God in your life. That is how you become godly. But it's a great question, I think, and a question that we should ask often. What is required of us? What does God expect of us? What does he want from us as a church and as a people? He wants us to be, well, we know from here, he wants us to be godly. God wants to see godliness in the church, which is essentially just living as Jesus lived, okay? Living like Jesus 
holding his same values in your life, it doesn't mean you're perfect, okay? That does mean that you are a, a work in progress, right? Nobody's perfect. Nobody's arrived. If anybody says they have, they just lied. How does one become godly? Does the Pope become godly when they place the pointy hat on him? So he's just, a, he's just a Jesuit priest doing his thing. They bring him to Rome, put the hat on, boom, godly man. I don't think that's how it works. Does your title make you godly? So you carry the title pastor, and now your underwear are all clean. Because you have the title of pastor. Now, a title may give you some respect, some. You have to earn respect. But you respect the title. But it has nothing in terms of godliness. Many, many, many popes, many, many, many pastors have held the role of pastor and the title with no godliness. So we know that titles don't make you godly. We know that Having a big church doesn't make you godly. And how do we know that? Because we see tragically, tragically, over and over and over, it never seems to end, pastors of 10, 20,000 member churches having affairs, uh, uh, engaged in all kinds of ungodly things. They have to be removed from their church. It devastates the church, wipes it out. It's horrible. It's ugly. And we all think, well, how did that happen? Well, obviously, that pastor was not devoting himself to godliness. So we know that having a huge church doesn't make you godly. We also know that writing Christian books doesn't make you godly. It's interesting, there are some pastors that hire people to help them write their books who aren't even Christian? (laughs) Ah, that's interesting. But it's done. Writing, just because you write Christian books doesn't mean you're godly. There is only one way to be godly. And that is to devote yourself to the careful study of scripture and then to apply it to your daily life. The application. This is essentially just what Jesus did with his disciples for three years. Every single day, wherever he was, they were with him and he was teaching them his values. Always contrasting and comparing things. Saying, this is how the Pharisees do it. This is how I would do it. This is what is done in the the temple. This is what I would do. You have heard your rabbis teach you this way. This is what I would say. And he was essentially just teaching them, training them with the application so they could apply it to their life. Our staff has invented a tool that is very, very helpful to anyone who wants to become a godly person. If you want to become godly, then I highly encourage you to grab this tool that we've developed called 20-Minute Mornings. It's called 20-Minute Mornings for the Purpose of Godliness. And you just start in with that, and you will be on the right path. You'll be heading your way towards godliness. 
So never, ever equate godliness with a title. Never. Never automatically respect somebody because of their title that should be earned. Now, Paul was writing to Timothy, and he stressed this over and over and over and over. These two things, godliness and sound doctrine. And, you know, it seems kind of like today, nowadays, or in certain circles, the word doctrine is like a swear word or something. You know, it's like, it's a, oh, it's a bad word. We can't use that. That's of, that's of men. That's of theologians. You know, we can't get into the, all that heady stuff. Well, Paul apparently did and saw that as absolutely critical to the health and future of the church. So he stressed this over and over and over and over and over and over and over that God's leaders must be godly men. So, it's interesting to look at the early church. So the church is just getting started, right? Book of Acts. The 12 disciples, you have all of the 11 original disciples. Then they got to replace Judas. So they get Mattathias. It's kind of cool how that all takes place. But now they have 12 again. And they're getting, the church is growing so quickly that these guys are getting worn out with all of the duties that they have. And so Peter, who's the leader of all these guys, he says, listen, we cannot spend all of our time serving people food and waiting on tables. We need to be focused on the word of God and prayer. Okay, there's a, there's a little tip for you right there. Really, that's what is the responsibility of the pastor? Okay, he just said it. And so they decided to select seven men to be to serve the food. But look at this is what they said the qualifications were for being one of these seven waiters. Here it is. Acts verse three. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good reputation. Full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty of serving the widows. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like the early church waiters were more godly, more qualified than many mega church pastors today. This is just for the job of handing out the food. pretty high standard any church that chooses a pastor for any other reason than godliness and sound doctrine is setting itself up for disaster in chapter three uh, paul makes this comparison between these ungodly leaders these false teachers and what a godly leader is. He makes the comparison by citing all of these qualifications of a leader. Chapter 3. We're not there yet. But you can jump ahead. You'll see there are 14 of them in chapter 3. And what's interesting is of the 14, 13 of them are about character. And only one is about a skill. So Paul is saying here, this is what when you're looking for a leader... Look for character first. 
But also, can they teach sound doctrine? The ability to teach was very important. And that was the only skill they had to have. They have to have the ability to teach, and then they have to have godly character. And he's contrasting that with the, uh, the bad leadership that had come into the church at Ephesus. And these are not just characteristics for godly leadership, by the way. These are also the characteristics of a godly church. So it's not like all of you are exempt of these things. Uh, God is looking for that in all of us, but especially in those that lead. Godliness and sound doctrine. So godliness in the leaders and in the congregation. Sound doctrine in the leaders and in the congregation. So all of that, let's look at verse 3. Now we're about to begin. Verse 3 and 4 says... As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So Paul is warning Timothy, saying, hey, Timothy, guess what? Some bad people are going to work themselves into the church. Watch out. Watch out. Be aware. He says, take charge of these men. Essentially what that means is to accuse them. Confront them. Anyone who's going to teach false doctrine, confront them. That's the duty of the leadership of the pastor. That's your responsibility Timothy, confront these false teachers who are teaching a contrary gospel, a false gospel. And this is a warning that we should heed as well. So not just for the church in Ephesus, it is even more critical today. I tell you, everywhere I look, everywhere I look, I see false doctrine, false teaching, false gospels. Everywhere. They're literally... Everywhere. We are probably in more danger of this today than Timothy was in his day. Especially with the internet, you know. I mean, I hear about it all the time from you guys. You come and say to me, oh, pastor, what do you think about um, Jesus' 14 wives? Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw this on the internet. Some guy in New Mexico, he's got this great teaching. It's so good. Jesus also gave this warning many times, actually. But in Matthew 7, 15, listen to what he said. Be, this is Jesus. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Whoa, what a warning. So Jesus is saying that there's going to be people in our midst who look like they're the good guy, but in their heart. They got wrong motives. So how do you identify a false teacher then? Is it the guy in your community group who, you know, you're discussing a particular scripture and he says, oh yeah, I read that Jesus smoked weed. Is he a false teacher or just a stoner? I mean, sorry, I just revealed my age with that term, didn't I? They don't use that anymore, right? Okay, so... So, 
Sorry. Um, Does that make him a false teacher? Not necessarily. No, just because you make a mistake with the Bible doesn't mean you're a false teacher. Well, then what is it? What, how, do we, how do we see these people? How do we identify them? How do we know if they have gotten into my community group? What do I look for? Well, here's a couple things. How about motive? Start with motive. What motivates you to want to be a pastor? Why do you want to be a pastor? Is it for the money? <laughs> now, you guys laugh, right? Because you know our church. You know, that's ridiculous. But I'll tell you, it's not ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. There are many, many leaders out there that are in it just for the money. Now, don't be fooled by the pastor who says, oh, I'll just get by on a little. Okay? That's just as bad. So some guy who just barely get by, but he just coasts and takes it easy. And it's all about getting that paycheck and an easy job. He knows that all I got to do is keep my nose clean and they won't fire me. And there are churches all over the world with leaders in it like that. Small little churches, just enough for the, for the leader to get a paycheck. And he's just... Going at it day in and day out until he dies. So don't be fooled by that. Don't be fooled by the wolves who are in it for the paycheck, in it for the money. Sometime back we did a series on greed. And Jesus was talking about greed and he he warned, he said, hey, listen, you got to watch out for greed because you don't see it coming. And he's absolutely right. I mean, when's the last time you heard somebody said, you know, I'm just in your community group. I just need to confess my greed, you guys. I'm just, I'm full of greed. You never heard that and you never will. Because nobody believes they have it in their heart. But they do have it in their heart. And you have to look for it. And if you are willing to look for it and you keep your heart open, you will see it. God will show you. Another thing you can look for is a craving of the prestige. Some people just love to have that word pastor in front of their name. They love to be called pastor. And they love that title. And they think somehow that it's elevated. Like there's something special to that, you know. Pastor Bill. Like that's better than musician bill or something else. You know, that's this high and lofty position. I tell you, that can't be farther from the truth. The the calling to be a pastor is no different than the calling to be an electrician or the calling to be a stay-at-home mom or a used car sales. Well, not used cars, but, um, (laughs) you know, a doctor. Right? It's no different. We're all called by God to do our thing. And just because you have the word pastor there doesn't mean you're above us. Doesn't mean you're better than us or more special. If anything, it means you're going to get hit with our criticism more than anything. More than anybody else. Pastors are criticized more than other people. But other than that, they're the same. So they crave recognition. Look at what Jesus said about this problem. Matthew 23, 
Verse 5. Listen to this. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their big word. I actually looked this one up. I did the Google pronouncing thing, which is kind of cool. I didn't know that existed, but it'll pronounce words for you. This is the little box that, that the uh, Hasidic Jews would, would wear. They're little leather boxes to represent the scriptures. And so they would sometimes wear them on their head or on their body or whatever. So Jesus is saying that you guys love to make your little boxes broad and with their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. There it is. Jesus calls them out. They love being called pastor. Oh, and you, you can see that in them. They just, they just got to be in the ministry. Oh, I just got to be a pastor. <laughs> they just, and you know, they fool us. Because it sounds real spiritual. Oh, I could never be anything but a pastor. You know, or oh, I, if I wasn't a pastor, I would die. It sounds spiritual, but it's actually wrong. Here's the reason why. Pastors have a calling like anybody else. And Jesus said, if you want to be a big shot, then become the servant of all. Amen. Oh, but we don't want to put that on the, uh, the profile that we send out. Uh, Candy Ridge Church is looking for the loser of losers. <laughs> we want the bottom of the barrel, the lowest of them all. We would never say that. But it kind of sounds like what Jesus is saying. Hey, you want to be the boss? Then get down and serve. Be the lowest. So he flips the whole thing around and ruins it. <laughs> when it comes to the kingdom of God, though, the values are different. So Jesus tells his disciples how it ought to be. Verse 8. But if you are not to be called rabbi, you're not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Beautiful words from Jesus about what God is looking for in church leadership. I love what the famous preacher and theologian John Stott said about pastoring. Read this quote to you. He said, I cannot help wondering if this, this may not be why there are so few preachers whom God is using today. There are plenty of popular preachers, but not many powerful ones who preach with the power of the Holy Spirit. It is because the cost of such preaching is too great. It seems the only preaching God honors through which his wisdom and power are expressed in the preaching of a man who is willing himself to be both a weakling and a fool. God not only chooses weak and foolish people to save, but weak and foolish preachers through whom to save them. Or at least preachers who are content to be weak and seen as foolish 
in the eyes of the world. That's a great definition of a leader. If this person's ego is wrapped up in their title, say this with me. Next. And I said, you, you can see these things if you look for them. <laughs> this guy actually said, it was a meeting of pastors, and we were just kind of three of us standing off to the side chatting about nothing. And the one guy said, I'd be, if I, if I would die, I would die if I wasn't a pastor. And I remember my first thought was, I better move away because he's about to be hit by lightning. A wise pastor told me one time years ago when I first started in ministry, he said to me, never rely on a resume. I thought that was interesting because in college they told us the opposite. <laughs> it's all about the resume. You've got to have the best one and it's got to look this way. And Psalm 75, 7 says this. It is God alone who judges. He decides who will rise and who will fall. I wonder if that's true in football. But I've been in ministry for over 25 years, and I have never once ever been placed in a position with a resume. Never once. Now, I'm not saying that resumes are ungodly. (laughs) No, it's a good tool. But who are you relying on? So anybody can slick up a resume. That's not what it's about. God is the one who decides. And so one question might prop up in some people's minds. Well, if bad leaders get into the church, then how is the church supposed to be right and holy and blessed and godly and the place that God is in charge and and God appoints leaders? Did he appoint the bad ones? Well, no. No. That's why we're looking at these epistles here, so that that doesn't befall us as well. Seeing what God's criteria is for a godly leader. Paul is warning Timothy, be alert, watch out. The devil sends people into the church. Jesus warned of it as well. Watch out. I think it's the job of the pastors to protect the congregation from those would-be false teachers who come in. Check their motives. Why are they doing this? Paul writes about this at the end of of, of Romans. And listen to what he says about false pastors. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out. For those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, avoid them. For such persons persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites by smooth talk and flattery. They deceive the hearts of the naive. The naive. We tell you. Some pastors are so slick and so smooth and so sharp 
that people are fooled by it. And oh, how they love the accolades. <laughs> I, was, I was mentioning earlier in prayer how, you know, you go into some churches and the pastor's picture is everywhere, you know. It's on their sign out in front of their building. There's just picture. Ah. It's on their website. It's on their publications. It's on everywhere, just plastered everywhere, the pastor's picture. And it makes you wonder, well, I thought this was God's church. This looks like it's his church, you know. He's... He's the guy who owns it. Maybe he does. I don't know. So I think what we can take away from this today, these short section of verses here, at least for today. We'll, we'll see where we go to next week. But this is what I think we can get from this. First of all, we ask the person or we ask ourselves, is his teaching sound doctrine? Is it biblically sound? The teaching that this person has done over the years, we evaluate it, we look at it and say, does he handle the word of God accurately? That's got to be a question that we ask. Number two is we'd have to examine his goals. Does he seek to love and honor and glorify the Lord? Or is he more about lifting up his name and him being noticed? I mean, can't you tell when somebody is promoting self or somebody is promoting Christ? I mean, it's a big difference. To me, it just jumps out at you. You know, this guy's all about himself. Also, test Their motives. Test the motives. Is he looking for a paycheck? Is he looking for recognition and acclaim and prestige and having that great name? And then lastly, examine the fruit of his life. Do the people that follow him grow in godliness? Are the people in his Wherever he's leading now, wherever he is leading now, are those people growing in godliness? Because they should be, right? If he is, they are. And I think these four, I guess, tests, if you will, can be used for us in the future. So let's pray. Lord, we love your word, and I I pray that you would help us to have these things deeply ingrained in our hearts and our minds so that we can spot the truth when we see it, so that we can recognize the error when we see it. I pray, Lord, that our church would be so biblically saturated with biblical truth that no counterfeit will ever work its way in, ever. That people will see it, they will smell it, and they will identify it. And that we can move forward in the kingdom of God, obeying you and serving you, Lord, as you have called us to. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.